Welcome to the More Tea Vicar podcast from B&A Church in Bristol with James Stevenson and Wayne Massey. Hi, Wayne. Hello. We're in the front hall on the Gloucester Road with vehicles travelling up and down. It's quarter to 12. We don't have tea. Um, I've had too much coffee already this morning. This is a podcast where we like to talk about culture, theology and life and in a way that helps you think about what it means to follow Jesus. And you want to talk about um, Mr. Nobel. I do. I don't know much about Mr. Nobel. Apparently he was called Alfred and he lived in the 19th century and was Swedish. And invented what? The prizes. No. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, you know what he invented before that, don't you? <laughs> no, I didn't. But do you know the story about where the Nobel Prize comes from? No. So he had a famous brother. And uh, so Alfred Nobel invented dynamite. And he woke up one oh, morning yeah. and his, I think his brother had died. And they, um, this bit, anyway, he read his obituary. They misprinted, they printed his obituary by mistake. And he read this obituary that basically said, you know, farewell to the man who's basically invent, invented the thing that's going to kill half the world. And he felt a bit like, oh, is that what I'm going to be remembered for? And created the Nobel Prize. Right, okay. Secondly, and, and then we will get into culture theology yeah. life, name the country in the world with the highest um, uh, ratio of population to Nobel Prize winners for literature. Um, I'm <laughs> being knowledgeable of literature as I am. I don't know. Well, you're looking at uh, me. So where do you think oh, it is? The Republic of Ireland. Thank you very much. Excellent. So um, we're talking about affirmative action this morning. I opened up my news app ahead of today's um, recording, and I thought, what are we going to talk about? And I was drawn to an article about Nobel prizes because. Um, they have announced that there's going to be no affirmative action around the um, awarding of prizes around um, genders. And even though they recognise that um, only 10% of the academic posts that could reach towards um, the scientific award for, um, from Nobel um, are held by females. Um, they're not going to um, do affirmative action. So and I just thought that was quite, it was quite interesting to have a world-renowned institution taking a stance ethically um, on this issue w- when the, the general mood of um, ethics, particularly within the Western world, would, would be around affirmative action. Very much not what's happening in Afghanistan, um, but actually in, in terms of General well, in the Western, so, ta- so if somebody's listening and they don't understand affirmative action, and yes. they're going, oh, I've heard about that. What is it again? What is affirmative action, James? Affirmative action is the, um, the recognition that systemic prejudices prevent people from accessing um, positions or qualifications or um, opportunities that enable them to succeed in particular fields and is the selection of candidates to enable um, that to be those systemic errors to be rectified. Um, so the premise is that we don't all start from the same position um, in life and that others may have travelled further towards um, an opportunity rec- or recognition, um, but not have reached as far as somebody else who has started further ahead. So, so for example, my wife um, would say that her um, her, her place um, studying mechanical engineering at university um, was not afforded to her in the same way that it was to um, men on the same course. 
um, because she was one of two females out of a group of 80. And so there was a, there was a, a recognition that actually there was a need to encourage women into the course in, in a way that was different to the stereotypical men doing engineering. You see, and you see it working in other areas. So famously, the NFL, the American um, Football League, has an affirmative action policy around the appointment of um, black coaches because yeah. it's a sport very much yeah. dominated by black players, but yeah. white coaching staff. Yeah. Um, you also see it in terms of the education sector you talked about in this country where um, I know that Bristol University has a policy around the postcode an applicant comes from yeah. in order to encourage more people yeah. from traditional working class backgrounds to a university like Bristol. And you can see the effect of it in South African cricket where there have been very strict codes around um, players from black African backgrounds as well as from, um, uh, they would call them coloured, so mixed, mixed race um, uh, or non-black African um, indigenous Africans and, and how they would be selected for the national cricket team and the quota system also for the state cricket teams within South Africa and, and that um, was quite controversial um, when it was brought in 20 years ago resulted in one guy coming to play for England called Kevin Peterson um, uh, and um, but actually you can see the fruit of it um, 20 years on 20 30 years on um, in terms of the number of players coming from those um, ethnic groupings. But then you have different places where, um, so the argument that the Nobel organisation will be saying is that actually at the point at which we are offering prizes for science, mm. the level is so high that there is an equality of opportunity for everybody who's reached this level in the field yeah. and it's, pro it's not our place to put in, it's, they would probably say it's not our place to put in the policies around affirmative action to get people to the level at which they might be yeah. doing Nobel Prize yeah. work. And so the equality here is Everybody who's reached a certain level has an opportunity to win a prize. Yeah. We aren't going to, um, but, but it's, it, there's a level of excellence that's required yeah. and it's not our job to put the right people in the right place to be doing those jobs. It's probably institutions. That's possibly what they might say. And you get other places like, you know, there's, I know that back home thinking about the Irish rugby team, which is a whole national team. Do you just pick the best 15 players or do you think about spreading it around between the north and the south? Yeah. And because we want to win, we just pick the best 15. Yeah. And, and so there are different scenarios where it works yeah. itself out. Now, last week we were thinking about violence against women yeah. and we found ourselves in Genesis. This week we're going to find ourselves in, in Genesis again. Wayne, tell us why we're in Genesis, thinking about affirmative action and, and what Christians should be thinking around affirmative action. So, so the first thing we want to say about affirmative action is, um, is that... Um, when done well and when done carefully, it is a good thing. Um, yeah. Because actually, whilst last week we talked about Genesis, talking about the div diversity, and we might yeah. come on to this later on, but the difference between men and women, yeah. um, it, it, it clearly talks about humanity, male and female, being made in the image of God. Yes. And so one of the great gifts of um, the Judeo-Christian faith to to the world and to the Western world particularly is, is this idea of human rights and this idea that actually there is an, there is an innate rightness to being a human being. Yeah. No matter how tall you are, how much yeah. hair you have on your head, yeah. James, yeah. Uh, the colour of your skin, where yeah. you're from, that actually to be a human, yeah. you are conferred with a level of dignity and honour yeah. that, that therefore means that, we, there, is a, that th there is a commonality toward, to us that means actually we should be honouring one another yeah. And we should be offering the best for one another. Yeah. We and, and we're designed to be fruitful. Yeah. You know, we're, 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 part of our purpose in creation is to co-create with God. So, so Christian thinking around humanity is, is actually 
is that we are all one. There isn't, there isn't a class of human being that is better yep. than another class of human being. No. Non-Christian, interestingly, post-enlightenment thinking kind of began to got there and yep. get there. So got there, get there. And actually, if you read, um, there's a book called Dark Continent written by uh, an academic about the Europe of the, between the, the, the two world wars, which is actually the kind of po- high watermark around eugenics and all this kind of thinking. And a lot of, a lot of the thinking that we abhor in Nazi Germany yeah. was across the whole continent. And it was about, actually, humans aren't this equal. There yeah. are differences between us. There are better versions, yeah. Aryans versus whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, and actually, Christianity says, no, 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 one humanity. Yeah. We are all made in the image of God. Yeah. And so, therefore, we should be all afforded opportunity, yeah. uh, love, care, whatever. So that's why affirmative action from a Christian standpoint is good because it's seen to be correcting systemic wrongs where we have treated one another as yeah. in a way that is not consistent with what the Bible says. That, that are part of are. what it means for us to be fallen. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So um, you were then going to go to... So that was the first point. So affirmative action is good because it recognises our shared humanity. Yes. What was I get, then going to do You're going to go take me to... Gen, uh, to, <laughs> to uh, I was going to say Genesis. I've just been to Genesis. You're going to take me to Galatians. Yes, so to Galatians, I haven't got it open in front of me, that talks about um, in Christ there, there being no differentials between so if male and female, Greek and Jew, slave and free. So the context of the book of Galatians, James, is... Uh, to the people in Galatia. Yeah. <laughs> um, the context of the book of um, Galatians is that you've got a, a group of people who are worshipping together who are, who are Gentile and Jew, and um, they've experienced the freedom of life in the Holy Spirit. And then after Paul's visit, some um, Jewish um, people have come along. Are they Jewish or Jewish Christians? I think they're, I think they're, they're called Christ- the Ju- Judaizers. Ju- they're Jewish Christians. Uh, Jewish Christians, and they, they basically tell them that they've all got to be circumcised in order to... Become um, a, a better class of Christian. Yeah. yeah. And Paul says, you don't need to... He doesn't say, he says it in the he's, Greek. And he's, yeah, he does indeed. <laughs> How do you translate that? Um, uh, but, and he says it quite forcefully, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, including um, statements about what um, people should be... Anyway, you can read it. Um, uh, and so, yes, yeah, so we're, in, we're thinking about Galatians because actually what it means for us to be part of the new humanity in Christ is, is for there to be a recognition that there are distinctions, but those distinctions don't change the way that we relate to each other. Yeah. So you cannot, um, uh, you cannot get past the difference of um, uh, genders in the new humanity. They, they exist, or of ethnicities, or indeed of economic status, but we are all one in Christ, and therefore there should not be um, barriers that divide people and barriers... Um, to uh, the way in which we extend ourselves into the world. And this is, this, but this is a really crucial point for understanding um, Christianity and a, and a major difference between Christianity as a global religion than Islam, for example. Yeah. Um, Islam has, and, and Islamic culture in terms of arts and maths and everything has so much that is wonderful about it. Mm. But actually one, somebody t- one writer talks about how with Islamic culture there is a flattening of diversity. Um, yeah. In terms of um, w- wherever you go around the world, yeah. there is there is there is a lot of commonality. Yeah, and well, that, cultural conformity and, and cultural practices, and um, but also it extends into the relationships between men and women, yeah. uh, which would not be viewed as equal. 
and, and, and we see it in, that... and we see it primarily in the book, which is the book must be read in its original language and must never yeah. be translated. Yeah. Whereas um, God comes to us as one of us in Jesus, and with even with Scripture, Scripture we translate into yeah. l- local languages, and that you can have the church in Galatia, the church in Corinth. You can have uh, um, growing up in Ireland, you know, the church of Ireland, which I kind of grew up around the edges of, culturally is very very different to. Um, uh, the Roman Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, but yeah. also to what they call the new Irish ethnic church, which yeah. basically feels like you're in a pub on a, on a yeah. Saturday night, but it's Jesus-centered. And, yeah. and actually, that the, the Christianity takes root in cultures, and um, and doesn't doesn't flatten or kill what is great about that culture, transforms it. And yeah. so, so when we get to Revelation and we get the every tribe and every nation, yes. that actually. Um, there is this sense that there is this unity in the new humanity, but this diversity. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Yes. And actually, that, that, he basically says, go and disciple. It doesn't mean disciple somebody from another country. He means disciple a whole country. Yes. So you can have English Christianity, Scottish Christianity. And it's not that you, you, it, the Christianity is the most important bit, but you don't have to cease to be Welsh or Scottish or English or Irish to be a Christian. Um, and that's, so, so, so that's where we, our culture can push affirmative action too far in that it, it forgets that there is a difference. And the work of the Holy Spirit in the church leads us to um, want and desire a relationship with people from other cultures. So actually, when, when we encounter people who are Christians from other cultures, it, there is a, a joy and an energy and a hope um, that emerges as we relate to them. And there's a conviction that comes as we get closer to them because we, realize that we begin to realise the things about our own culture that are not good, that have infiltrated our own understanding of what it means to be a Christian. Yeah. Um, because yeah, you were then going to take me to Romans, were you? Yes, I'm, it, I'm going to take you to Romans Are you now. going to take me there now? I'm going to take you there now, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to revisit um, re where we were earlier with Nobel. So Nobel um, is resisting affirmative action, and, and as you said, as an elite institution, it, it positions itself in a way that can do that. I think what I felt uncomfortable about is that even though I'm part of a global institution in the Church of England, one where I have been enabled to encounter um, people from other cultures in a way that has um, helped me to understand more of Jesus. So my, my relationship with the Southern Sudanese Church um, uh, gave me more than I could ever possibly give them um, and enabled me to understand Jesus in a way that transformed um, my journey as a disciple of his. Um, but Strangely, even though it's enabled that, um, that understanding of the global Christianity, um, here in the UK, it still feels to me, and I see that elitism um, embedded into our DNA. So though we might be a, a, an institution that is open to everyone and our doors are open to everyone. The reality is that the, the way in which we have socialised as Christians within the Church of England um, has excluded many people. So when I was in Henbury, where I did my curacy, one of the poorer parts of Bristol, um, I was reminded at a funeral visit that um, the person who I was burying had been told in the 1960s um, that they weren't allowed to come to church until they had a new pair of shoes. And so we had, we had an electoral roll um, that 
um, that covered the addresses of people within the parish, and I worked out that um, the poorest fifth of the parish only had one person on the electoral roll in it, where it, and that was out of an electoral roll of 120. So we, we would say that we were a, a parish that um, was in an area of poverty, but actually in our poorest part, we were, asked, we, we were mathematically... Um, uh, awfully represented so actually we we were strangely almost like a middle class remnant within an area of poverty and, and that you can extrapolate that across the nation um, that actually we are um, as an institution unintentionally elitist and so I get to Romans because I get I get here and it tells me um, uh, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so I'm left with this notion that actually I work for an institution where affirmative action around um, parts of our cities, parts of our nation where um, the gospel is not being heard needs to be taken so so we have so the tension tension is um uh and i think as an irishman i can see this so so in in the republic of ireland that i grew up in was 92 and a half percent roman catholic culturally um and back in the you know the 80s and 90s most people most catholics still went to church they don't Mm. anymore but roman catholicism exists as a culture as well as a faith Mm. so a comedian like Dara o'brien can say i'm a roman catholic and an atheist Mm. Uh, and as an irishman i can understand what he exactly means Mm. there's a whole lot of ways of being that comes Mm. from being a roman catholic the church uh, and there are people of faith in the roman catholic church lots but but the what we call the Protestant church, the bits that would be up for mission and evangelism and, you know, yeah. you must be born again in Ireland is, is very Protestant. It's not, even, it's not even Church of Ireland. It's just, you know, Anglican. It's just very yeah. Protestant. It's very Baptist. It's very Presbyterian. It's very influenced, actually, by American missionaries. So culturally, it looks nothing like 92.5% of the Irish population. And when anybody comes to faith or came to faith in Ireland that I grew up in, the church they went to looked nothing like the world they came from. Yes. And so they almost had, and, and had attitudes around not just drinking, but even just going to the pub. Yeah. That meant that they had to kind of almost be broken from the culture yes. they, were, they were from. Yeah. So, so, so you went, how can you, you, you couldn't even send people back because they'd, basically they had senses they'd walked away from something. And what's happened in Ireland in the last 20 years is the growth of what they call these culturally Irish churches, where they will talk about the Gaelic sports on the Sunday morning and how the results were, and not yeah. the rugby or the football. Yeah. And they will wear their Gaelic tops, and they will, they will sing even the slow songs like they're in a pub on a Saturday night. And so when somebody from a Catholic culture walks in on a Sunday morning, they go, oh, I recognise this. Yes. And then they hear about Jesus. Yeah. And that's the bit that I think you're saying is that actually as a Church of England, we're very, very good at sending people to all you know, those places, but we send them as kind of middle-class people to be middle-class people in an area. Yes. Um, and it's about how do, we, how do we let the gospel inhabit the culture and reflect that culture so that people from that culture hear Jesus. Yes, and, but then don't just grow up within that culture. There, there needs to be some yeah. clashing of cultures in order for there to be that maturing in Christ that Paul was describing to the Galatians where um, Gentile and Jew, male and female, slave yeah. and free, are worshipping alongside each other. So that you, you, what we need to recognise is that we're in a largely monochrome, middle-class denomination 
Um, and, and that has to be broken in order for us to be able to reach people who are from a different demographic. And there are all sorts of demographics that are unreached. And, and there are ethnicities and tribes that are unreached. Um, but they're also, we, we can't just leave the church in their demographic. There, there has to be um, a rubbing up against each other of, of, the, of difference. And, and as we know from the church in Antioch in Acts, it's when that happens, there's a missionary zeal that comes out. And this is the difference between the world's view of affirmative action yeah. and the church's view of affirmative action. So affirmative action, Bristol University get somebody from a really poor postcode. By the time they're finished with them, they'll probably never go back to that postcode. The university hasn't really been changed, but they've changed the person. Yeah. Probably for the better. Affirmative action in the church actually changes the church. Yeah. So actually, yeah. by... And just let's... Hang on, let's just go back. Your comment about the better was not about um, better in from working class to middle class. No. It was about their educational capacity. Yeah, yeah. Just so in case you, anybody's yeah. missed thank that you, when they're listening. Um, As in, oh, yeah, I, know, I, knew, I knew what you meant. But you know, in terms case, of they, you've, you've, yeah. They've enabled them to achieve something. Yeah. That they, but, but the key is... But, but what generally happens is, there is, is the university isn't radically altered or changed as a result. Yeah, and the, the, sadly, the person probably is, yeah. and has the you know not only has you know has has some of the good stuff of them knocked out as well, because so, yeah. that's what these institutions do. Um, whereas Christian affirmative action is the creation of a new countercultural community that looks very different, that is shaped by the people who are joining it, who don't look like it. Yeah, that's quite exciting. That's the Book of Revelation. That is the Book of Revelation. So we've gone um, Alfred Nobel, Genesis. Galatians, Romans, we've gone back, Galatians, Romans, and then we've gone forward to Revelation, um, and hopefully into your lives, um, wherever you are, thinking about um, how God's affirmative action um, can speak into the life that you're living today. And the one thing I'd say to us all is, what can we do in the power of the Spirit to welcome another who is not like us? Yes. Because he welcomes us and we were objects of wrath so actually if you think it's a stretch to welcome someone who's not like you it's nothing like the stretch for the for the god of heaven and earth to welcome you back so that was another episode of morty vicar another episode <laughs> um from wayne and james um, we hope it has helped you think about what it means to follow jesus um, and the world in which you live